Today we're looking at Luke um, chapter 20. If you're just joining with us in Luke right now, Jesus has been in the Gospel of Luke on a journey, his journey towards Jerusalem where he's eventually going to die on the cross. And he's just entered into Jerusalem, the kind of the, the center of religious life in, in uh, Jesus' day. And, uh, and as soon as he walked in, there's been a tremendous amount of conflict. And uh, he's been having a number of arguments with the religious leaders in his entry. And this is kind of the end of that conflict that we're going to be, uh, th- these discussions that he's been having with them. And so we're going to start in Luke 20, verse 45, and we're going to continue Right into verse 21, uh, you know, if, if you're new to reading the Bible, uh, the chapter breaks in the Bible are, are not really originally part of the Bible. That's something that we just added later that helps to find our way around. Um, so sometimes they're put in unfortunate places that divide up passages that really should go together. Here's uh, one example of that. So we're going to continue on to verse 4 in chapter 21. So um, uh, this is uh, God's word to us um, that he feeds us with. And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box And he saw a poor woman put in two small copper coins. And he said, Truly I tell you, this poor woman has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you that you love the poor. And uh, we confess that the question of poverty in our world is so massive, so complex. Uh, We feel so uh, powerless uh, in the face of it. And uh, yet we see in your word uh, your deep love for the poor and for the marginalized. And we ask that you would take your word and that your word would form us as a community and shape us uh, into a family of the poor. So we pray that your word, as we study it, that it would actually work on us now. So I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, we're looking this uh, this morning, a very interesting little passage, uh, just a few verses on the topic of poverty. Um, you can see that uh, in the first section, uh, Jesus telling his disciples beware of the scribes because they devour widows' houses. And, uh, and then he goes on to use as an example a poor widow uh, as an example to his disciples about uh, generosity and, uh, and love and discipleship. So uh, an interesting interaction on teaching on the poor. Uh, and I would say that what we see in this passage is a very nuanced a very complex and a very wise vision that Jesus has in an understanding of poverty and uh, where poverty, poverty comes from. Because uh, largely in our culture, there, there's two uh, predominant paradigms for understanding the poor and where, po- uh, where poverty comes from. You know, on the one hand, there's kind of the uh, uh, conservative paradigm uh, that says that poverty largely comes as a, as a result of the, the breakdown of the family. 
and as a result of poor moral decisions of individuals. So, you know, in our country, there's a tremendous amount of freedom, and if you're poor, it's largely uh, because of the poor decisions you're making. You're lazy. If you're going to be lazy, you're not going to make any money. And so you're making poor moral, moral decisions as an individual, and that's what's causing poverty, or, or even the individual family is what's causing poverty. You know, on the other hand, you know, the, uh, the liberal paradigm says, you know, that's, that's much too simplistic of an uh, understanding of poverty. Uh, uh, there, poverty comes not so much as a result of the, the decisions that individuals are making, but because of social forces in our culture that are keeping the poor in poverty. They're stuck in it. So, you know, things like uh, racial prejudices or uh, economic uh, uh, disparity or any kind of uh, different kinds of inequality. That, and so, you know, they would say something like, so if you have a homeless person who's trying to get a job, it's much harder to get a job if you don't have a place to live because you don't have an address. What are you going to put on your, what are you gonna put on your application where you live as an address? And where are you going to take a shower after work to get cleaned up or even for your interview? So it's much harder your situation the poverty is keeping you in the poverty. It's, it's systemic. And, um, you know, I'll tell you, Shannon and I, in uh, 2006, moved to St. Louis where I went to seminary. And uh, one of the things that was kind of the most cultural shock for us in St. Louis is there's a tremendous amount of uh, separation uh, of classes still in St. Louis, like nothing I'd really seen even uh, in western Washington. I'm sure it exists in western Washington. But, you know, there would be one street where uh, on one side of the street was very affluent, uh, upper-middle-class white, and you cross literally one street and, uh, and you know, dilapidated uh, uh, poverty uh, and largely African-American and uh, actually, there was one street called Delmar Street that um, on the north side of the street, the median uh, cost of a house is $73,000. And you cross that one street, and the median house, of, uh, house price goes up over four times to $335,000, crossing one street. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's interesting. We, we lived in the kind of uh, uh, more, the white more affluent, we rented an apartment in that area our first year there, and then we moved to kind of more of a mixed neighborhood, and one day a young man named Rashad came up to our door, it just snowed, and he, he was wanting to shovel our driveway and our sidewalk with the snow, and he wanted $25 for it or something. I, I, I said, I'll give you 10 and, and I'll do it with you. So, uh, so, I, gave, so I sat out there, and we, we shoveled together, and, and I learned a little bit about Rashad's life. He had, he had just been expelled from his school uh, for getting in fights. He actually went to a pretty decent local school, but uh, he had been kicked out because he kept getting in fights with people. And um, it turned out that he, uh, uh, that in his family, you know, he, he didn't know his father. His father was on drugs, absent somewhere. His mother was repeatedly telling him she couldn't wait till he was 18 so that she could kick him out of the house. And he had older brothers who beat him up and stole all his money all the time. And what he said to me, he says, the one thing I've learned is no one is looking out for me but me. And, you, you know, the conservative will look at him and say, well, listen, this is a perfect example. This is a breakdown of the family, and, uh, and his poor decisions in school are what's going to keep him in poverty. But uh, the reality is, um, you know, here's a guy who's going door to door offering to shovel. He's 16 years old, offering to shovel snow to make money. Uh, so that he can get a GED. You know, you know, I think about when I was 16, if, uh, if I had gone door-to-door 
offering to mow lawns or shovel, my parents would have been ecstatic that I had that much initiative to go do something like that. This kid is not lazy. He's hardworking. And he's taking a, a risk going up to a white family and, and asking them to, uh, to, to shovel the, their yard. And, um, and the fact is that uh, Rashad had a job at the Boston Market, which is about uh, 10 miles away from his house, which he had to take an hour bus ride to every day. And he couldn't get his license because, uh, for one, he didn't have anyone to teach him to, uh, to drive a car. And he didn't even have a car in which to take the, the uh, license test with. Actually, we went on a couple of driving uh, practices together. And you know, it was very funny. I don't know if you've seen my vehicle. It's a, a, a 92 Explorer. I wouldn't call it luxury. Uh, it's missing a <laughs> radio. But, you know, Rashad got in there, and as soon as we got on the road, he just low, you know, one hand, low ride like this, and I'm like, Rashad, 10 and 2, Rashad. You know, I'm trying, like, come on, this is, this is driving practice, and he wanted, he was, he wished I had a radio so we could get some tunes going and stuff. But, um, but you know, the fact is that his class uh, is keeping him from getting a, a license, which is, would enable him to do his job well. And so, you know, you look at this, who's right? Who's right, the conservative paradigm or the liberal paradigm? And of course, to some degree, they're both right, but both of them are far too simplistic in their, in their understanding of poverty, what causes it, and, and what it is. And uh, what we see, if, um, if you've been with us since we first started, we started looking at the Gospel of Luke two years ago, if you uh, have been with us since then, um, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus gave a little description at the beginning of his ministry, his mission, this is what I'm up to. And he quotes Isaiah 61, and this is what he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. How Jesus understood his ministry was largely, how much of what he was uh, training his disciples in was how to care for the poor. He was preaching good news to the poor, liberty to the oppressed. And so um, the reality is that if we're going to be a church that's going to kind of maintain the integrity of Jesus' mission, that has to be a priority for us. That has to be our heart as a community. And so if we're going to do that, I think we really need Jesus' nuanced understanding of what poverty is. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be drawing, as we go through uh, and looking at this passage, I wanna, I'm going to be drawing a bit on a book that I've just read recently called When Helping Hurts by a guy named uh, 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 Steve Corbett and uh, Brian F- uh, Fickert. That's what it is, Brian Fickert. And uh, what I want to say is just basically answer three questions. First of all, what is poverty? How do we understand? What, how do we name it? Because that's tremendously important how we interact with the poor and how we uh, be a part of alleviating poverty. What is poverty? Second, why should we love the poor? What's our motivation in caring for the poor? And lastly then, once we answer those questions, how should we love the poor? How do we do it? Why should we love them? How should we do it? So those three questions we're going to be looking at. So first, we're going to answer the question, what is poverty? Now, um, generally speaking, I think when we think of poverty, we generally think of it in terms of uh, people who don't have stuff. People who don't have enough money, they don't have a job, they don't have a house, uh, they don't have food, or, you know, in, in different 
more global questions of poverty. People don't have water or education. And, um, and so we largely think of it in terms of deficiency. But I think it's more helpful for, for us to think uh, of poverty in terms of the breakdown of relationships. The breakdown of relationships with God and breakdown of relationships with uh, our neighbors and each other and uh, uh, people in different classes and breakdowns of relationships with our families and with ourselves. And um, you might put it this way. Poverty is the result of relationships that do not work, that are not just, that are not for life, that are not harmonious or enjoyable. Poverty is the absence of shalom in all its meaning. What I mean by shalom, I don't know if you know that word. It's, a, it's kind of a, a well-known Hebrew word that's usually translated peace. And shalom is basically understanding that uh, the way God made our world and made our relationships, um, healthy living in God's world has everything to do with living in right relationship with God and with each other and with the creation and with ourselves and with our families. And so shalom, shalom is that kind of um, that peace and that harmony. So, that, you know, when you take someone like Rashad... And you understand what is his situation. You can understand it primarily in terms of relationships. Because, uh, you know, first of all, uh, he's, he's in a city that um, is communicating to him that uh, white people uh, live in big houses and have jobs and are rich. And, and, uh, and African Americans live in uh, dilapidated communities. The whole message of his community uh, is saying this is a relationship between white people and, and, and black people. And yet also, uh, uh, you know, the breakdown of his relationships with his peers at schools. He's getting in fights with, with, children, uh, with kids at school. There's a breakdown in his family relationships. But also, at the heart of, of Rashad's life is a breakdown in his spiritual relationship with God. Because when he says that I know that no one is going to look out for me but me, that's a theological statement. He is saying God is not active in my life. I cannot trust God. I cannot rest in God. And I, so I can't enter into, into situations with God's security around me so, and, and knowing God's love for me. And so there's a breakdown in relationships in every area of his life. And, um, and what we see in this passage, it's very interesting, is Jesus is training his disciples to understand poverty. He says it primarily in terms of relationships. Uh, look again um, at verse 46 where Jesus says, Beware of the scribes. Who like to walk around in long robes. And listen to these three things that he says next. They love greetings in the marketplaces. And the best seats in the synagogues. And the places of honor at feasts. These are all about um, the, the upper class in Jesus' day. Pursuing relationships with people uh, that are in the upper class with them. And as a result... They're not having relationships with the widows that are in that are in their community, and he says as, as a result they're keeping them in poverty. And uh, so, um, you know, it's very uh, it's very interesting. It says in verse forty seven that uh, these scribes who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. And commentators say these prayers are probably that they're praying for the widows, they're praying for the poor in their community, and they have these long prayers about how much they care about, about the poor, and yet the poor are coming in, and this widow is giving all of her money to the temple to pay for their long robes and their feasts and their synagogues, and so they're just uh, gouging money from the poor and yet praying for them. And there's this huge inconsistency, this disruption in their relationships, and so that's why the Bible tells us that the main thing that Jesus was doing was to restore relationships, was to bring reconciliation, 
This is, uh, this is from Colossians 1. Listen, this is a powerful statement of what Jesus is doing. For in him, that's in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace, making shalom by the blood of his cross. Um, Jesus' answer to the fundamental problems in our world is, is the answer of reconciliation, the rebuilding of relationships. And here you have scribes who have, have distanced their relationships from the poor and uh, have aggravated relationships, and that's what create, creates poverty. And so what that means, and the reason I tell you this, I know I've, I've spent a little time on that, the reason why that's important is that's going to shape how we interact with the poor. Because what do the poor need then? <clears throat> the thing that they primarily need is actually, it, it, they need charity. They may need uh, uh, financial support, but what they need primarily is relationships. And that why, that's why Jesus calls us to love our neighbor. Not just give to charity, but to love our neighbor. Okay? So with that said, that's what poverty is. Um, poverty is the result of relationships that don't work. And so Jesus says we should love the poor. We should pursue relationships. That raises a question for us of why. What's the motivation for us to care for the poor? What drives us to that? Well, I'm going to say a couple things. First of all, I think we should because Jesus defended the poor. Now, this is, a, this is an important point. Um, you know, it's important for, as kind of American evangelicals uh, in a church like this, our tendency is primarily to think of that the things that God requires of us the most are, are acts of personal piety and personal purity. So that you read your Bible and that you pray and uh, that you don't have lustful thoughts and that you don't get angry. And uh, Jesus certainly talked about all these things and Jesus cared about all these things. But, uh, you know, I read recently in a book a story about an evangelist who was working in Hong Kong. His name was Raymond Fung. And uh, he had built a relationship with a, a textile worker in Hong Kong. And he was trying to invite the textile textile worker to church, and finally the textile worker said, yeah, okay, I'll come to your, ch- come to your church. I'm interested in what's going on there. And uh, so even though he had to miss a whole day's wage for not working on Sunday, he went with them to church. And after church, they went out to lunch, and you know, Raymond is asking him, so what do you think of church and what they said? And, uh, and the guy said, uh, um, well, the sermon hit me. What the preacher said was true of me, laziness, a violent temper, an addiction to cheap entertainment. And so the evangelist Fung is getting all excited. He said, whoa, maybe my message got through. Maybe he's going to receive the gospel. He's going to become a Christian. (laughs) But then the guy goes on. He says, nothing was said about my boss. When the preacher had gone through the list of sins, he had said nothing about how his boss employs child laborers, how he doesn't give us the legally required holidays, how he puts on false labels, and how he forces us to do overtime. And as it turned out, uh, a number of the management class were actually in the congregation. <laughs> and the main thing that, that the Christians were talking about was primarily, uh, you know, this kind of uh, personal piety, uh, 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 personal purity. Are you angry? Do you read your Bible? Do you pray? And not these questions of social injustice. And the fact is, when you read the Gospels, Jesus never did that. And what we see, uh, that's, that's what we see in this passage, that... Um, uh, that Jesus is speaking against these scribes who are kind of uh, keeping these poor widows in their poverty. 
And actually, let me just tell you this. You might not know this, but as you read through the Bible, all of the books of Moses, if, as you read through all the, uh, the prophets of the Old Testament and much of Jesus' teaching, overwhelmingly, the Bible says that the cause of poverty in our world is oppression. It is people being put in situations where they are stuck in poverty. Now, does the Bible say that if you're lazy, you'll get poor? It does say that. But way more times it says that the cause of poverty is oppression. And Jesus um, is consistently a voice defending the poor. Um, there's a great proverb that says that the wealth of the rich, this is Proverbs 10:15. the wealth of the rich is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. The fact that they're poor is what keeps them poor. And so Jesus, uh, first of all, one of the reasons we should love the poor is because if we're disciples of Jesus, Jesus defended them. Jesus defends the poor. But I think there's a deeper reason why we should love the poor. Is that we are the poor. We are the poor. That's what the gospel tells us. Um, Because if we understand poverty, not so much in terms of not having stuff, but in terms of the breakdown of relationships, the breakdown of shalom, then I'll tell you, the breakdown of relationships, I mean, middle-class Americans have the breakdown of relationships just as much as anyone else. In that regard, that kind of poverty, we have just as much as anyone else. And um, as Christians, what we understand is that the, the center of our faith is that we know that in order to make it in the world, you need grace. I mean, the center of, of our faith is that, uh, is that God has given us uh, forgiveness, salvation, new life, all of these things, not because we deserve them, not because we earned them, but should I say as a handout? <laughs> he gave it to us as a handout. He gave it to, to us freely. Uh, you know, there's a great uh, 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 verse in 2 Corinthians 8. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. The heart of our identity as Christians uh, is that Jesus entered into our poverty, into the brokenness of our relationship, and he showed us grace. And we know that we need grace. We know that to make it in the world, you need someone to come in and show, show you grace that you didn't earn and that you didn't deserve. And I'll tell you, what happens a lot in uh, poverty kind of alleviation in many parts around the world is that uh, whether Christians or non-Christians, people come into a community and they, they consider themselves, we're the haves and they're the have-nots. And they need us. So we're going to come in and we're going to rescue them. And what it does is it creates a sense of superiority and inferiority where uh, the poor, one of their biggest problems is they feel inferior and they don't have the self-confidence to, uh, 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 to create new things and, uh, and to throw themselves into the world. And we're just aggravating that because we think we're superior to them. We don't think that we're the poor. And actually, I put a, a quote for you. Sorry, I'm giving you a lot of quotes in the sermon. But uh, on page three of your bulletin, if you want to turn there. One of the biggest problems in many poverty alleviation efforts is that their design and implementation exacerbates the God complexes of the economically rich. So the design of poverty alleviation makes, uh, exacerbates our sense that we're God and that people need us to save them. And it exacerbates the feelings of inferiority and shame of the economically poor. The way we act toward the economically poor often communicates albeit unintentionally, that we are superior and they are inferior. In the process, we hurt the poor and ourselves. And the fact is, until we know our own poverty, 
that Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The reason we needed Jesus is because of our own poverty. Then we can identify with the poor. Then when we see a poor person, we don't say, wow, I wish they had all that I had. I wish they could be like me. We say, that is me. My poverty shows itself in different ways. It's not maybe material poverty. Maybe it is material poverty. For maybe you don't have money. But my poverty shows up in different ways. And I think it's only when we understand that this is our, the thing that's driving us to love the poor is we know what it's like to be poor and to need Jesus to come into our broken relationships and to show us grace. It's only when we acknowledge that that we can answer the third question of not just why we should love the poor, but how we should go about doing it, how we should love the poor. And I want to uh, say three things about that. First of all, as we as a church uh, and as a community commit ourselves to caring for the poor, I think we first need, uh, as we build relationships with the poor, we need to learn from their wisdom. We need to learn to them. One of the things that's most amazing about this passage is, uh, is that Jesus is teaching about poverty. He's criticizing the scribes that they're keeping these widows in, uh, you know, devouring their houses. And then it says in verse 3, Jesus says this, Truly I tell you, this poor woman has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. And what he does is he takes this poor woman and he says, you need to learn from her. You need to learn uh, from her wisdom. And, um, and uh, when we go into a community and say that we're the ones that need to learn, um, that keeps us from creating that sense of superiority and inferiority. You know, there's uh, in a number of places in the world, many relief efforts will go into, you know, maybe a slum in, in Africa or in, in some part of the majority world. And uh, they'll come in and have tr- all these truckloads of free T-shirts and free clothes and free, free food to give out to the children and to everyone in this community. And everyone feels like they're doing such a good thing. But one of the things that they don't know is that they've just undermined all the small businesses in that community. Because all the small businesses, which are the, the hope for the future of that slum, uh, they, they can't compete with free T-shirts <laughs> and free food. And the, the actual hope of the future of this community has completely been undermined because they came out and they, gave, they uh, were giving away free things and, and good-intentioned, but the problem was they didn't go into the community and listen first. They didn't ask the community, what do you need? How can we develop what's already here? And, and the fact is, you know, also as Americans, you know, um, in much of the majority world, um, their priorities and values are very different than ours, right? So as Americans, we're very task-oriented, very uh, get things accomplished, um, you know, be punctual, um, use your time efficiently. And a lot of times people will go and begin caring for the poor and, you know, building a house or something in, 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 in a poor region. And, uh, and the people there are, you know, taking their time, uh, not, you know, being as diligent, not staying on schedule, and they're just chatting while they're doing the work, and the Americans are saying, listen, we got deadlines to meet. Let's get things done. And we don't realize that we're a tremendously individualistic society. Uh, we're struggling with relationships and community. So many people come to me, come into our church, and say, the thing I'm most hungry for is community. And we don't realize that maybe most of the majority world has something to teach us about community, that they put relationships as more of a priority than getting the job done. And so one of the best ways that we can love the poor is to first come in with a spirit of we want to learn from them. We want to learn from their wisdom. But second, we need to acknowledge their resources. 
And, uh, you know, it's hard because as we, you think about things like global poverty and you, you hear statistics like, uh, you know, there's three billion people in the world who, uh, you know, who live on uh, $2.50 or less a day. Three billion people live on two, less than $2.50 a day. You have a billion chil- children, one in two are living in poverty. And you say, what am I, you know, gosh, we have so much, we should just give to them. And, and, uh, and so we begin giving away our resources, and uh, instead of realizing the resources that the poor, the poor already have and trying to grow those and build those, look at what Jesus is doing here. He's acknowledging this poor woman that she has something to contribute. And he's pointing, he's, and he does that in other places. You know the feeding of the 5,000? Jesus has 5,000 people with him, they're all starving, and he needs to feed them. What does he do? He takes a boy's bread and fish. The resources that are already there, and he grows them, he expands them to serve the rest of the people. So it's actually the boy who's serving the 5,000. And so one of the best things that we can do is, um, is think through what resources do the poor already have. This is, a, this is an important way to think. Um, let me give you one last story here. Uh, I, this, uh, this book I was reading begins with uh, this guy, uh, Brian uh, Fickert. Uh, he's going into a slum in, in Uganda, and uh, they, they had developed a um, small business class for Ugandans in this slum to teach them how to develop new businesses. And one of the women in the class was a, a witch doctor who had become a Christian, and she'd had a life change, and uh, she was learning about uh, this, small, this small business, and she was coming to class every day, and she was very excited. And one day, she doesn't show up to class. And so this guy, Brian, he says, where's, where's the witch doctor? What happened to her? And they say, well, apparently she's very sick, and she's at her house way in the slum. And so he travels through this, this slum into places where white people usually don't go, and he finds her in her little shack, and she's lying on the ground in excruciating pain with just little bits of water, and she's about to die. And he said, what happened to her? And uh, apparently she had tonsillitis, and she had... Uh, HIV also, so the hospital would not treat her tonsillitis. So she went and asked one of her neighbors if her neighbor would take their kitchen knife and cut her tonsils out for her. She'd pay her to do that. So she had her neighbor cut out her tonsils, and she was lying in there uh, just throbbing with infection and about to die. And so here's this American, and he says, well, what does she need? You know, how much, what should we get for her? And he said, well, it's about $8 to get her some penicillin, and it would probably save her life. So he says, no problem, pulls out his wallet, hands him $8, and then he leaves. But he reflects on it later. What did he just do? He's just been developing this whole class of uh, small business owners and Christians who are supporting one another in uh, building small businesses and caring for one another. And he's working with a local pastor who's trying to gather people together like this and to make a body who cares for one another. And instead of saying, what resources are already here? Going and asking the, uh, the small business class, hey, can we all pool together our money, which they, he said they absolutely could have. Can we all pool together our money and care for our sister who's been a part of this class and get her back on her feet and get her back in here? And to go ask the pastor, what resources do you have to empower him? But all he did by pulling out his $8 was he's actually telling the pastor, uh, you can't do your job. And telling this class, uh, you don't have the resources to do that. And that's the message that he was communicating to them. And he realizes that even though his good intentions to give those $8 came from a good heart, it was the worst thing he could have done. And so one of the things that Jesus calls us to do is one of the ways we honor the poor is to see what gifts and resources has God given to them. 
And when we do that, it leads to the third thing of how we care for the poor, is that we pursue God with them. When we understand that we're the poor, that we have broken relationships, that we don't know how to live with God, we don't know how to live with each other, we don't know how to handle our money, uh, we don't know how to prioritize our life, we enter into relationships and we say, we want to grow with you. We want to change with you. And uh, this is, I think, the paradigm that God is calling this church to. And I'll just tell you a lot of what I'm just telling you. This is a lot that God is doing in my own heart of are we willing to make this a family and a community of the poor? Understanding that that's who we are and understanding that people who are different than us are going to come in here and our priority is to build relationships. Our priority is the reconciliation of the gospel. Because what did Jesus do for us? He came into our poverty. And did he get rid of all our problems and all of our financial issues and, and our, all our problems and relationships? No, he says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He gave himself to us. I think that's our calling as a church, as, uh, as a young church, as we develop our priorities. These are things that we're going to be thinking through uh, more and more as we move along. So let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for the challenge of your word, and we know that it is only by your spirit that uh, we can uh, follow the mission that Jesus has set for us. And even Jesus says that the spirit of the Lord had anointed him for that work. We need your life, your spirit to work in us, to shape our minds, to teach us, to train us. We ask that you would make this a community of the poor where relationships are restored, where shalom is brought, and that we may taste um, of that grace that you've shown us in the gospel. We ask this in Jesus' name.